Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Lean and Leander. I'm your host, Andrew Nadine, and this is episode 18 of the podcast. It's also the ninth in the Vote in Leander series, and I had an opportunity to sit down with candidate Mike Sanders. Uh, Mike and I had a discussion ranging from uh, some of his early influences, a little bit about his life, um, all the way to some civics lessons uh, from Mike's perspective. Uh, he's done some things for the Republican Party here in the state of Texas that I've had some interest in and I wanted to know a little bit more about. And he was gracious enough to kind of educate me as to how some of that stuff works. Hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation. And while we're on the topic of voting, remember, if you have not registered to vote, make sure you go to voteinleander.com. You can find information on all the upcoming elections as well as the information you need to get registered if you haven't done so already. Remember, you need to do that by April 1st in order to vote in the municipal elections in May. Now, we'll go on to the episode here. I hope you enjoy it. If you're watching, uh, grab a drink. And if you're listening on the podcast, turn it up a notch and enjoy my conversation with Mike Sanders here on Lean and Leander. Hey everybody, I'm here at Mouton's off of 183 with Mike Sanders. Mike was nice enough to sit with me this afternoon in the continuing series of Vote in Leander. We're going to have a little chat. We'll talk a little bit about where Mike's from, some of the things that influence him, and uh, hopefully give you, the listener and the viewer, a better uh, understanding of what makes Mike tick. So thanks, Mike. I appreciate the time. Oh, glad to be here with you, Angel. Fantastic. I'm glad we were finally able to get there. I know it was a little bit of a, of a challenge for, for a week or so, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's good that we were able to make it work out. Yeah, you know, it's nice because now I, I think I've, I've gotten pretty much everybody at this point. <laughs> so it's like a little bit of a breath now that I can take in between each interview because for, for a week and a half there, it was like every other day I was interviewing somebody. So it got a little crazy and hectic. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate you being able to take some time and, and meet with me here. So, sure, sure. Um, as I always like to do in the interviews, I like to let people know how familiar we are with each other. And Mike and I have never met before. This is the first, first time. time we've met. Yeah. So um, We never even talked on the phone. No, no. It was all email and uh, text. So, yeah. but, uh, so we're here to find out a little bit more about you, both me personally and uh, hopefully the audience at Lean and Leander as well. So sure. Great. Appreciate your time. Um, what I like to start with typically is kind of like, where are you from? So you and I were chatting a little bit before we started the actual video here. Sounds like you came from Florida to Texas. That's is that right. right? Well, not to Texas. Okay. But, uh, I was born and raised in Florida. Okay. 
Yep, I was born in a small town north of Orlando, and, and when I was growing up in Florida, we didn't have uh, air conditioning. I don't know if anybody's ever been to Florida, but it's, it's kind of now, like Houston. Did you guys have any swamp coolers? That's the question. Nope. Not even swamp well, coolers? Well, actually, when I was a teenager, we got this, this, this fan put in the attic, and it, it would open up. Uh, when you turned it on, it would open up the vents from the gotcha. from the hallway right. and and suck the air out of the house right. and blow it out through the attic. Right. And that blowing all that hot air out of the attic made a huge difference. Oh, I can only imagine. But, but all through that was when I was a teenager. All, all through my childhood, we didn't have any air conditioning and at home we didn't have any in the public schools. Yeah, that's there, there was nobody had air conditioning. I remember growing up in El Paso. Yeah. We had the aforementioned swamp coolers, yeah. which if you don't know what a swamp cooler is, let me explain it to you. <laughs> Basically, it's a giant fan, like what Mike was talking about, except it doesn't blow the air out, it blows the air in. And it had these pads, like, I don't even know what they were, they were like some sort of, I, I, I don't want to say it was asbestos, it wasn't asbestos, yeah. but it was some sort of filament that you would wet, there was a little pump and it would blow you know, water over the over the pads, yeah, yeah, yeah. so the air is sucking in essentially cooled air. Right, but right. that was that's what passed for air conditioning in El Paso growing up. Well, so when I was growing up, we you had no air. And I remember going to gym class. You you'd, you'd take a shower after gym class, and you'd uh, immediately when you got out of the shower and dried off, you're sweating again. Oh yeah, no. And I, you go to your classroom, and they have these rotating fans. You know, you try to sit up towards the front, so the rotating fan <laughs> would blow on you at least part of the time. All right, that's, but that's crazy. That was my childhood. That's yeah. funny. That's why I didn't. I don't did, can't share that experience. But I know the hot. I mean, I get the yeah. hot because our our schools initially uh, they did not have they, there was no central AC. I guess is the yeah, basic yeah. bottom line. So from from there, I joined the Marine Corps. Okay. Uh, and uh, was this right out of high school? Or? Right out of high school. Okay. I graduated from high school in June. I went off. Well, beginning of June, I went off hitchhiking for the summer. Okay. I spent the whole summer hitchhiking. Back in those days, it was a bit different than it is these days. Uh, and uh, actually, got as far as Corpus Christi, Texas. Wow. From Florida, from Florida to Corpus. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to California or if I wanted to go to Mexico. Okay. But I wanted to go to some place that I'd seen on TV that mm -hmm. I'd never experienced before, and I just went out. Thumb and rides, and uh, and did that the whole summer long. And one of the rides that I that I got, you know, one of the fellows that picked me up, he was saying, "Well, what you ought to do? What do you want to do with your life?" And I said, "I have no idea what I want to do with my life. I was 17 years old." He said, "Well, um, he said what you ought to do is go uh, join the military. You know, the military will give you a, a good chance to figure out what you want to do with your life. It'll give you a few years to decide." So he kind of planted that seed mm -hmm. in my head, um, and uh, and so. When I, you know, just before it was my 18th birthday, I was talking to my mom on the phone to, just to assure her, you know, everything's fine, I'm doing good. And she was begging me, please come home, please come home, you know, I don't like that you're out hitchhiking like that. So, uh, so I went back home, uh, and, uh, and I was, it was amazing. I was able to get home in, gosh, like two or three days. You know, I was able to get back all the way from Corpus, from Corpus Christi, all the way to Florida, just by, just by mm -hmm. thumb on a ride. Uh, I actually did something that I shouldn't have done. Uh, I, I bought a ticket on a Greyhound, and uh, and I got quite a. I, I think I got a couple hundred miles because uh, that's all the money I had. Mm -hmm. A couple hundred miles on this Greyhound, and it was it was midnight, and I just stayed in the back seat and I pretended I was asleep, <laughs> and, I, and nobody came back there to wake me up. And I just I, I took that Greyhound all the way across you know Texas and. I don't know where it dropped me off, somewhere in Mississippi or someplace before finally I had to get off, you know. And it way past what I paid for. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, I, I was a bit of a mischievous kid. Oh, you know, when you're that age, I mean, you know, it's a relatively, you know, 
unimpactful decision at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, they've yeah. still got to drive that plane, <laughs> you know? So then I got back to Florida, and, uh, and that's when I, uh, I decided to go into the uh, recruiter's office after spending a week or two with my family. And I went into the recruiter's office, and first of all, I started with the, uh, I think it was with the Air Force. And okay. I went into the Air Force uh, recruiter's office. Didn't work. And, uh, well, so he gave me these tests, I forget, the AFSAB, whatever they call it, the test that they, they give everybody. And, uh, and I did really well on the test. And the guy says, he says, you know, you did excellent on the test. You can choose any field you want to go into in the enlisted ranks, um, anything you want to do. And, I, and, and it all sounded okay. You know, it just sounded pretty easy and straightforward. Um, and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll be back. And I, and I left, and I started to go out the door. And I, and I, I passed by the, uh, the Marine recruiter's office. It was right next door. Mm -hmm. I remember when they did that. And the Marine recruiter's office, they had this picture of this guy in his dress blues, and he... You know that he was all you know built and and he said the marine is the marines are looking for a few good men mm -hmm. and uh, and I thought well I'll go in there and I'll I'll check this out so I go into the the Marine Corps recruiting station and sure enough the guy in there the recruiter he looked sharp you know he mm -hmm. he was really built mm -hmm. and uh, and so uh, you, you do know that's what they're supposed to look like right I, oh yeah I know exactly now I know what now you know. what it's all about <laughs> at the time I was 17 years old well I was just turning 18 I, I didn't know. And, uh, and so anyway, um, the guy says, oh, you know, he, he talked to me, and I told him I'd just come out of the Air Force uh, recruiting station. He said, oh, he says, you don't want to be a fly boy. <laughs> he says, if you want to be a man, you want to be a Marine. That's fine. <laughs> and, he said, and, he, and he said, how'd you do on your test? And I said, well, they told me that I could uh, go into any field that I want to go into. And he says, well, hang on a second. Let me go over and get their, their test. And so he goes through the back door. They had a hallway that connected their, their offices, and he goes over there and gets my test results from the Air Force guy, a copy of my test results. And, uh, and so then he comes in, he says, yeah, he said, it's true, you, you can go into anything you want to go into in the enlisted ranks in the, in the Marine Corps. Uh, you did really well on all your tests. He said, but he said, I got to tell you, you're kind of puny. <laughs> he said, we don't really take them so small. <laughs> And he was he was right. really in, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I said, "What do you mean small? I can do anything anybody else can do." And he just kind of drug me in there, and and uh, next thing you know, I'm signing the papers, and that's I'm funny. and I'm off to boot camp. And so that's when I first left Florida. So I went off to Paris Island, okay, uh, boot camp, and uh, spent uh, three months. I forget exactly what the how many weeks it is in boot camp. And, and you, ended, you ended up in the 3rd Marine Air Wing, right? Is that, that's is correct. that correct? That's correct. So out of boot camp, uh, I was uh, selected to be uh, an electronics technician. I went to A school in Memphis, Tennessee, and then C school in Lakers, New Jersey. And uh, I was trained to repair electronic equipment. I repaired uh, closed-circuit video equipment. Uh, I repaired uh, HF, UHF, VHF transceivers. Um, equipment that received satellite images, uh, facsimiles, e equipment, uh, a, a wide variety of equipment that I, I maintained down to the component level. Anything in like, and, and I'm not, I don't know enough about the Marines necessarily know specifically, so I'm not speaking for any kind of knowledge base, yeah. but you know, like armament equipment, things of that nature, were you involved in that or was it primarily the communications? It was arena? communications and radar, also uh, weather okay. radar. Okay. Uh, it was the, I was attached to the weather detachment okay. and every air base has a weather detachment and my responsibility was to maintain all of the equipment that was associated with the weather attachment at, at an air base. So did you learn enough to be an uh, amateur meteorologist? <laughs> you know, it was very, very... I, all, most of my time were spent with weather, weather observers, right? 
and and the forecasters were officers, and the observers were all en enlisted. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I saw how they would send up the helium balloons, and I, I worked on the uh, little mm -hmm. uh, electronics that went in the helium balloons right. that uh, they send up, and they would measure uh, uh, humidity and temperature. And then tracking, I worked on the equipment that tracked the weather balloons, and so we would measure wind velocity and wind direction by tracking the balloons. And, and, and so everything would be measured at, at different altitudes mm -hmm. because there was an altimeter inside of the, the sensor that transmitted back down to the equipment mm -hmm. that I maintained. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, I spent a lot of time with weather observers and, uh, and forecasters, and I learned that, you know, a lot of the forecasting is just, it's just guesswork. Right, it's, it is a little bit of this. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is based on what has happened in previous years. Right, you know? which is actually, I mean, it's funny that you would say that, because I was kind of, I was kind of steering towards the snow, I was going to ask if you knew it was coming, that kind of thing, but we'll, we'll, we'll dispense with that bad joke. Um, it's interesting, because like on one of the local stations, um, they're looking at, what happened in 2011 and comparing it to what happened in 2021 right. as to what kind of weather patterns to be on the lookout for, which right, I thought right, was right. really interesting. It's the first time I've ever seen, you know, a meteorologist kind of do that and say, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. hey, we've kind of seen this happen before. It wasn't right. exactly the same, but if we look at that compared to what we see now, it should give us some ideas of what could potentially happen, which I think is right, right, pretty right. smart, you right. know, right? And hopefully we've learned some lessons that, that will help us in the future. Sure. Things that we should have learned back in, in 2011 right. that, well, that we did learn, but we didn't take action on. Yeah. And hopefully we'll take action I hope so this too. time to prevent so those kinds of disasters, from that kind of disaster from ever happening uh, You know, I mean, the, you kind of get into yeah. conversations there that are a little bit more like, you know, well, do we want to spend the money or do we not want to spend the money? And, you know, profit being what it is, and it's the driver in most businesses. I mean, I'm in sales, so I understand, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, profitability is a big piece of the puzzle. And if you're not profitable... Can't really maintain the business. I get yeah, that yeah. part, but um, I agree. I think it's. I think. I think it was enough of a pain point <laughs> that the people who would be responsible for those types of decisions will actually encourage things to happen this time. Right, and I certainly yeah. hope that they do. I certainly hope that they do. So my first year in the Marines was spent in school, and then my second year was spent in Iwakuni in Japan. Oh, okay. I, I took a, ja a course in Japanese. I used to be able to speak a little bit of Japanese. Nice. I know a few words still, but... So you can still order at the restaurants? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be able to, but no, no, no. I, I've, I've also learned Spanish since then, and, and so now my mind is filled with Spanish, and mm -hmm. so uh, if I try to speak Japanese, I, I can remember some of those words, mm -hmm. but, the, uh, but the accent is more like a Spanish accent. So I love, love the accent. But so, while I was in Japan, I also spent a month in Korea, okay. uh, and uh, and then also in South Korea, and then after that was uh, transferred to Southern California. I spent my last two years in El Toro Marine Base in California, and that led you to Cal Poly, right? In exactly, San Luis I studied in Cal Poly. That's correct. Okay. Yep. All right. I love saying San Luis Obispo. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool thing. That's the way you say it in Spanish. Nah, so that's, you know, San, Luis nice, San Luis Obispo. I love that shit. So uh, Cal Poly is where you got your degree. Right, once you finish. So Cal Poly is where I studied Marines. electronic engineering, and okay. I, I became an engineer after, uh, uh, after getting out of the Marine Corps. I was an electronics technician you know, prior. Uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went into engineering, and, uh, and now that's been, gosh, over 30 years. Uh, I have to sit down and count how many years right. uh, that I've been working designing uh, circuit boards. Mm -hmm. I designed printed circuit boards, uh, and uh, my focus in the last... Uh, Decade, decade and a half has been video circuits. Oh, okay. And so I, I design video circuits of different types. 
which is kind of where I started out. I started out repairing right. video circuits, and, and now I design video circuits. And are, are you a contractor, or are you... I'm a contractor. Some, okay, so you, yeah. you just kind of just... I'm a contractor, too. Yeah, so I, so get it. I work with a company, and find, then, uh, then when, the when, when, that, when that need is fulfilled, mm -hmm. when I've done whatever it is they needed done. So, so they bring in a specialist to do things you mm -hmm. know, that they don't have enough people to do. Um, and that's when they look for someone like me. And I'll, so I'll come in and I'll, I'll design whatever it is or, or solve whatever problem it needs to be solved. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, when that's done, then I move to the next, uh, next company that needs help, mm -hmm. right? And uh, one thing that I found that, that really makes a difference when you're trying to solve difficult problems, uh, and this is one thing that's going to make me valuable in the, in the city council, uh, is that you challenge all the assumptions. Mm -hmm. Usually when someone can't fix something, it's because they're making assumptions. Uh, and we all make assumptions sure. of, of all different kinds sure, in, in our lives. But when it comes to solving a, a complex uh, a, a piece of equipment that, that's inter where hardware is interacting with firmware, which is interacting with software, uh, and it's all interacting, and, and, and the software people are pointing their finger at the at the hardware people and the hardware designers, they're pointing their finger at the software designers. Mm -hmm. it, it's something in the software. No, it's something in the hardware. You have to know a little bit about all those sure. different things in order to be able to identify, yeah, the problem is in the hardware. No, the problem is in the software or it's in the firmware. You know? And so, uh, so I have to know a little bit about everything. And, and, and the first thing I do when I come into a situation where there's a difficult problem to solve is I start challenging the assumptions. And I, I start asking questions about this, uh, what, is, what is being assumed. And sometimes people don't like having their assumptions challenged. Sure. Um, but, you know, that's what makes the difference between the person who's able to solve the problem and, and the person or people who haven't been able to solve it. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair statement. I think that's very fair. Um, I often refer to a similar, not exactly the exact same vernacular per se, but a similar approach, um, which is a growth mentality. Yeah. And for me, that's really important in looking at any situation is just you have to have a growth me mentality. And part of having a growth mentality is putting aside your own personal biases and being able to look at a situation and say, okay, well, let's just look at this. And, and I'm right. kind of a data wonk, so I do tend to go into the data. Like, yeah. what's the data telling me right. here? And then kind of superimpose that on any kind of you know, conversational or, or problem solving that's going on about right, that. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I definitely see where where that type of approach can be very productive. Right. You know, if someone designed a piece of equipment, in their mind, it's perfect. Yes. They, no, they designed absolutely. it. They built it. Yeah. They don't know about their own mistakes. Yep. Right? Yes. And someone else comes in and says, well, why was this done this way? Mm -hmm. Well, because that's the way I did it. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, explain to me why. And, and, and you have to go in and you have to ask questions. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, for years I've sat in city council meetings uh, listening to the, uh, to the uh, city council members um, uh, talking with developers and with vendors, and, and oftentimes I thought, well, why aren't they asking about this, and why aren't they asking about that? Right. And it was so refreshing when I saw Marcy Cannon get on the on the city council uh, that she began asking questions, questions that I thought were great, excellent questions, really mm -hmm. important questions, and they were being asked in public. Um, and uh, you know, it's nice. To, obviously, behind you want to go behind the scenes and ask questions of city staff sure. and, and developers as much as you can behind the scenes. But it's also important for the public to be able to see that you're asking questions I, and for the public to hear the answers I, to those questions. I cannot, I cannot disagree with you there. I, yeah. That's actually one of the things that, that I oftentimes will find myself in a similar situation. And mind you, I don't have 
And let's see, you've been in uh, you've been in Leander for ten years, correct? So you've probably attended a few more city council meetings than I have in my three, okay? But I think one thing that we would share from that perspective is that perspective, like well, where are the questions here? Where and you know, it's interesting because when you start talking to people and you, and you get to meet a few, and I've met a few of the city council members, and I told you earlier, and I, I sit on the um, the Citizens Advisory Committee and Troy, you know, Troy's who picked the people for that one. Right. Um, and so I've gotten a little bit of a, of a kind of an insight. It's a little peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah. But you start to understand, you know, the inner workings and, and all of the conversations that are going on. So sometimes the questions that you might want to ask really, I don't want to say they're not appropriate for, the, for that particular venue, but they may have already been asked. And so you don't always know all of the situation as far as when it comes to the city council and, and right. the public statements and things of that nature. And for me, that's kind of important because even though if, if I'm on the city council and I've already gotten all these questions answered for me ahead of time, but the public hasn't yes. heard those Well, that's answers. where I was driving with it. That's exactly where I was driving with it. I think it's really important that, that the public understand that. And when we say the public, I, I, I always like to quantify it. There's a group of people in any city. It yeah. doesn't matter where you go. Yeah. Okay. There's always going to be a group of people who are like hyper focused on the city and the politics of the city and stuff like that, and that's great. Yeah. Those people are involved, and those are the people who you know who will vote and will do all those types of things. Yeah. But it's the casual observer that I'm always concerned about. I'm concerned about the guy who comes in just because that's near his house. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. Like it's not something that's necessarily affecting. It's the it's the um, uh, not in not, not in my backyard kind of mentality that most people have. Yeah, they really don't look at anything until it's like right there and it's affecting them. Yeah, yeah. But with that, I think if the communication is something that's clear on a regular basis, that as someone who's a casual observer can go and and again we're in a, we live in an age where information is readily available. Yeah, yeah. So it's misinformation, but that's a different subject. <laughs> but um, if you can go and find what you're looking for, you can at least come prepared with some understanding of what the issue is. Right, right. And I agree with you. I think sometimes the questions aren't asked, or at least they're not answered in a public forum where people can understand it a little bit more right, readily. Right. You know, and it's one thing to go in and do, you know, uh, um, you know, go through the agenda and read the notes and all that kind of stuff. Right. Again, that's asking a lot of just the casual observer. They're not going to do that. You know, sometimes the agenda has 400 pages, oh, yeah. five, no, they, 600 they, pages in it. I joke about it all the time. I'm like, <laughs> if you're going to be on council, we'll get there. I'm going to come back to that, okay? But it's a lot of stuff to have to do. Yeah, um, yeah. So I know that you've done some board kind of uh, 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 assignments before. So I know you were involved with your board of directors on your HOA, and you also mentioned in your bio that you uh, were a delegate to the state convention for the Republican Party. Right. Uh, you've served an, as an elections clerk and an elections judge. And I kind of wanted to go there with you because I know kind of what that does, what people do when they serve in those roles. Yeah. I wanted you to maybe share with, our, with the audience what that was like, what it was yeah. like to be a, uh, let's see, what is it again? It's an elections clerk and an elections judge. So there's actually a big need uh, in Williamson County and, and pretty much everywhere for people to serve as election clerks and to serve as election judges. Uh, and, uh, and what you do when you're a clerk or a judge is uh, typically you're, you're approved by either the, the Republican or the Democrat Party, and they try to put a mixture of, of people who represent the Republican Party, people who represent the, the Democrat Party. Uh, and the idea is that you want to make sure you, you have fair. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And honest elections. And so that's why you want to have folks from different sure. parties. You know, you want to have the Democrats looking over the Republican shoulders, and you want to have the Republicans looking over the Democrat shoulders. And, and so that uh, you, you create an environment where uh, people can feel, you know, like it's, it's a neutral environment. Mm-hmm. People can come in and they can cast their vote without um, feeling pressured or without feeling uh, uncomfortable in any way. Mm-hmm. So, so the purpose of, of election clerks and election judges, first of all, election clerks, is to help people cast their votes, answer their questions, get them signed in, give them their ballots, you know, help them, help them cast their votes, and then uh, and and to ensure that that everything is neutral, that that, that that nobody's talking about a party, nobody's talking about a candidate, everything has to be neutral, uh, and then the judges, their responsibility is to oversee everything. There's usually there's two judges in each uh, polling location, uh, and. Uh, and usually it's a Republican and a Democrat judge that's in each polling location. And the judge's responsibility is to oversee everything that's being done. To First of all, you know, on election day, it's, it's 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. are the hours. So that's 12 hours. So the judge usually gets there at least an hour, hour and a half before that and stays anywhere from one to two hours after that. Mm-hmm. So for the judge... Uh, it's not just a 12-hour day. It's so more like it's a 15, 16-hour yeah. day. It's uh, it's a long day. I can imagine. Yeah. And so you have to get a lot of sleep ahead of time. <laughs> but there's a need. There's a need for people to volunteer as, as judges, as, as clerks. And, and you receive training from the Williamson County Electron, Elections Office. Uh, you attend training, and they, they teach you all the uh, details you need to know. You know, when you go in to vote, there are three stations that you go to to vote. Uh, the first station is where you get signed in. Uh, and uh, we used to use a laptop for that, and now we use, a, a, in the latest election, a, a tablet was used for mm-hmm. that. And that's, that's the only element of, of, of the system that's supposed to be connected to the Internet. Nothing else is connected to the Internet as far as we know, right? Um, and, uh, and so when people first come uh, and, and they present an ID, a photo ID, they get signed in uh, on, the, on the EPOL book, and then that is connected to... Uh, a printer that prints out a blank ballot. Well, well, a blank ballot is fed in, and it prints out header information. Right, on a blank ballot. Right, right, right. So then you take that uh, that blank ballot with the header information, and you uh, you go to the next station, which is uh, which is called uh, the e-vote, e-voting machine. I think station. yeah, I think it's e-vote. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's another name. It's not coming to my mind. But anyway, you go to the next station, and you uh, and you express vote. It's the okay. express vote machine. Okay. And you feed your, your blank ballot with the, has the header information into there. And the header information tells the, uh, the, uh, the next machine uh, what, what, kind of, what are your candidates, you know, because you can vote anywhere in the county, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you live in, in Round Rock and you vote in Leander, well, you can vote uh, on, the Le- on the Round Rock City Council, but you can't vote on the Leander City Council because right. you live in Round Rock. So, so the header information... Contains what's known as a ballot style, and that ballot style information goes into the express vote information, and the express vote uh, machine gives you a a ballot that's that, that pertains to your voting location. 
Okay. So then you uh, you choose, make all your selections, and at the end it says, uh, do you accept, "Are these all correct?" And you say yes, and then you have to press the print button. Right. If right. you do not press that print button, it will give you back a blank ballot with only a header, and none of your votes have been cast. Mm -hmm. And when you go to the third station, which is called a DS two hundred tabulator, and you feed that ballot in. You, you're not casting anything because you didn't print out your selections. Gotcha. And so it's very important when you go in to vote that you print out that, 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 that selection on that express vote machine, the second, polling, the second location that you go to in the polling location, and that you look at your card and you see, yeah, these are the choices <laughs> I made. Right. You know, look at your card. Yeah, that's the person I wanted for president. That's the person I wanted on, on, my, on this race or that race, whatever. Right. And then you go to the third station. And you feed it into the DS200 tabulator, and there the tabulator reads all that information off of the card, and it uh, it puts the information into a, a USB drive and a backup USB drive, and it drops the card into a bin that's located inside of the of the DS200 tabulator. And so those are the three stations that you, that you go to in, in, in a polling location. So the process itself, again, when you're a judge, uh, what you're doing is really kind of making sure that those processes are consistent, right? right? So Is that fair? One of the problems that we had in our most recent election was that sometimes people uh, got the wrong ballot style printed out. And so they'd go over to the next, uh, the second location, you know, to the express vote machine, and it would present choices that were the wrong choices for them. Gotcha. They were being given choices, for, for example, for one race, and, and, and they didn't even live in that city, gotcha. you know? And so that was a, a problem that we had in, in our polling location. And we had to call, you know, I, I called into the, the hotline. There's a hotline that you can call into at the central mm -hmm. office, elections office. And, and I said, hey, you know, we don't know what to do to fix this. And so the lady said, well, let me put you on hold and get an answer for you. I, I don't know. So she put me on hold for a long time, five minutes. When, when you've when you got all these yeah. voters waiting five minutes, right. a long that's time. a long time. And she comes back and, and she says, uh, she says uh, well, I went and talked to somebody else and they don't know the answer either. We, we, we don't know what to do. Uh, we're going to send a tech out. So, uh, so then they send a person out to, to your polling location. That person is called a technician. Mm -hmm. uh, and that technician is responsible for solving you know, problems of a hardware, software nature out of your, your polling location. Uh, and, uh, and so it took about an hour uh, for the tech to come out. Meanwhile, you know, we, had, we, had, we only had one working tablet for, for a period of time. Oh, wow. Fortunately, this was on election day uh, in, in November. And if you remember what happened in November, most of the voting happened during yeah, early voting. Yeah. And on election day, we really didn't have that many voters. And so fortunately, mm -hmm. we didn't have you know, a, a lot of people. A good time to have the problem. It, it was, you know, and so anyway, uh, the tech came out and showed us how to clear the problem. And we cleared the problem. And, and, then, uh, and then once we cleared that, uh, we had minor problems throughout the rest of the day. So, but that that at that up until that time, we only had one tablet. Out one out of four of our tablets was working, and hmm. the others were all dead. And, and it's interesting. They were printing out wrong information. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I'm always curious about that because you know, there's a lot, always a lot of conversation around voting and fair and free and you know, transparent voting and all that stuff. Yeah. But outside of technical issues, uh, you know, it's it's always the conversations about. Uh, you know, voter fraud or whatever, you know, however people will frame that. Right. Which, you know, given any research, you can usually typically find that, well, you know, maybe one or two occurrence is not a big, big, you know, broad voter fraud thing. Whereas what you experienced would be probably a little bit more of what typically happens is just it's really more of a of a, an issue with the 
the programming or the software, or like in your instance, it was picking up the something on the coding. I mean, they're all it's all done with the ones and zeros now. You know, somewhere along the line, there was a one in the wrong place. You know, and you had to clear that out, clear the cache. <laughs> you know, and and it would reset itself. So when the tech came out and helped us clear the problem and explain to us what the problem was, uh, he said, you know, this isn't, you're not the only polling location. He said, this is happening everywhere, all over the county. And he said, and it's not just during, on election day, it was happening during early voting. Hmm. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, no. You know, I, I was pretty surprised at that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but at any rate, uh, I then later, later after election, that election ended, and I was talking a couple of weeks later with someone else who worked as a technician in another area. She was telling me the same thing. She had that same problem all over the, the polling locations where she was going. And so I thought, wow, that's, that's really not good. Not, not a good thing, but again, yeah. something that could be addressed with the vendor. I mean, because the vendor would be the person responsible for that, ultimately. I mean, that, that is how that works, right? You have a particular vendor who's been chosen to provide that machinery, they're giving you a guarantee that it's going to be, you know, workable and obviously. It was I have workable. some ideas of how it could potentially the problem could potentially be solved, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I wish that the elections administrator would would take more of an interest in that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I don't think that's really something to discuss right now. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. So um, and I appreciate you going into that in depth yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think that's important, even just in the sense of giving people some insight again, to some of the experiences that you've had and some things that will, you know, obviously influence the way you think. And also, a great civics lesson. Because <laughs> I don't think that a lot of people really recognize all of those things are happening on election day well, and otherwise. I think it's a great thing to be able know, to know and, and, and share. It's interesting that you bring up civics, right? So when I was in high school, we all had to take a, a government class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they talked about the electoral college, right? And, uh, and it was always this mysterious thing, you know, what is electoral college? I, I didn't have any idea what that was. And uh, and all through the years, I, I've always heard this term, electoral college. Well, yeah, the voting's been cast, but the electoral college still has to meet. And I always wondered, well, who's in the electoral college? Mm-hmm. Who decides who goes in the electoral college? And how, how does that all work? And so uh, it was really interesting that this, you know, since I was uh, a delegate to the, mm-hmm. to the state convention mm-hmm. this year, uh, I actually get, got to cast a vote for one of the electors. The elector from our district. And again, I think that that's also done in a similar manner as the judges and everything else for the state, right? There's a, there's a group of electors who are Democrat and there's a group of electors exactly. that are Republican, right? So in the Democrat, in, in the, the Democrat state convention, the Democrats choose their electors, their body of electors. And in the Republican state convention, the Republicans choose their slate of electors. And so there are two slates of electors that have been chosen. And whoever wins the popular vote in that state, that their parties. slate of electors are then sent to the uh, elect, uh, are, are meet together mm-hmm. at the Capitol building mm-hmm. and, and cast their votes. And then those votes are sent to Washington, D.C. to mm-hmm. be uh, certified by the... By right into the record. Over there. So, but because, so I helped uh, uh, elect one of our electors into the Electoral College. And um, I was kind of supporting him, you know, during the when we met together because we had a virtual convention, but a bunch of us met together uh, during the virtual convention to to be able to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And we met at uh, um, a church uh, celebration church over in Georgetown. And uh, I don't know how many of us there was, maybe a hundred of us. I don't, I don't really remember. But anyway, um, so there, Paul Matthews was the elector that I helped uh, that I voted for. And so at Christmas time, I was sitting with him at. Uh, 
uh, at the Christmas party, uh, the Republican Christmas party, Williamson County, and we sat at the same talk table and we were talking, and and somehow we were talking about the electoral college. He was going to go and cast his vote, and he invited me. Oh, he said, really? "How would you like to go to the electoral college and be there when we cast the vote?" And I said, "Are you uh, kidding? Cool. I, I'd love to." Yeah. And he, and so he said, "I'll get you a ticket." So he got me a ticket to go actually watch when the electoral college cast its vote. And I thought this was, you know, from the time when I was in high school, I'd always heard about the Electoral mm -hmm. College, and it had always been this mysterious mm -hmm. thing, and I had no idea what it was, uh, all the way to the point where I actually got to sit in the in the Capitol building up on the, you know, the right the, the spectators, the area, spectators right? area there while they were casting their votes That's and cool. take lots of pictures yeah. of them, you know, and uh, and that was that was just for me that was that was a thrill of a lifetime. Oh yeah, no, I mean that would be kind of thrilling. So you, you, you started it. you were talking about civics, yeah. and that just brought that to my mind. That's very know? cool. Yeah, That's yeah. very cool. All right, so you you kind of touched on a little bit and in your bio um, that you you've done a lot of work within ch church boards and you've done on elder boards and finance committees and stuff like that. Right. But what I found most interesting is that. You mentioned you, you, you speak Spanish or you're Spanish speaking, uh -huh. um, and you established some small parishes, it sounds like. Uh -huh. I'm curious as where those were, were. Like, where did you do that work? Okay. Well, first of all, let me, déjame decir que yo sí hablo el español, claramente hablo el español, mi esposa es de Puebla, de México, y este, llevamos 27 años de casados. Y claro que este, mi español no es perfecto, como uno que nació tal vez en, en el país, en, en un país extranjero, pero uh, sí hablo español y me gusta hablarlo y en mi casa siempre hablamos en español. Uh, y necesito que voten por mí los que hablan español, por favor. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. No, that's fine. Hablo español igualmente, pero yo no me nació en el, nació en el Estados Unidos, primer uh, de mi familia. Uh, mi papá es de México, uh -huh. uh, en el pueblo casi cerca de Chihuahua. Andale. Yeah. Uh -huh. But that's really good, Mike. Your Spanish is, is excellent for someone who's not a native speaker. Well, so. thank you, thank you. <laughs> so I learned Spanish in Spain. I spent uh, almost okay. two years in Spain. I so studied, more the Castilian. <laughs> that I, I spoke la, la fe, la teta. La fe, la teta. Yeah, so I, uh, I spoke what, we, what they call the king's Spanish. Yeah, no, yeah, it, yeah. it's funny. My wife works for a company that um, is from Spain. Yeah, and the executives are all Spanish. Yeah, yeah. and it, it freaks them out when I come in because I know Span. My wife doesn't speak Spanish, but yeah. I do, and I'll come in and we'll just have a conversation. Yeah, and I'm speaking a Central American Spanish compared right. to their Castilian Spanish. Right, but I've heard it long enough over yeah. a lifetime that you 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 understand you can make the little inflections. You can yeah, change yeah. it just if a you know it's the C and the Z yeah. that you pronounce like a th. Yeah, it's funny too yeah. because it changes the way it changes the cadence of the conversation. Yeah. I've found that. Like, Spanish is a really interesting language to me from that perspective. Yeah. I've got on a different track here, but in, in, like, my experience has been obviously uh, the way the uh, Mexican Americans or Mexicans speak Spanish, yeah. people of Mexican heritage, um, El Salvador, Guatemala, um, Nicaragua. Uh -huh. uh, even into into South America, yeah, yeah. and there's different dialects. It's interesting because there's That's just right. these very very subtle nuances to the way the language is spoken. Yeah, but then you get to Cuba and Puerto Rico, uh -huh. and Puerto Rico is a very rich mix of that the Caribbean influence in the language. 
But then you go to Cuba. I don't know if you've ever spoken with Cubans. Oh, yeah. I've got okay. friends that are Cubans. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's like... It's you, much more... It's easier to record their conversation and then play it back on slow motion so that you actually understand what they say. Well, I understand. <laughs> but the Cubans speak a Spanish. Like, they are racing to finish whatever it is they're saying. I, it's crazy. I used to do some stuff at, uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, I sold with a gentleman, and we would go visit uh, uh, Roberto Clemente uh, uh-huh. Stadium like uh-huh. twice a year uh-huh. in Puerto Rico. Yeah, but we were dealing with Cubans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was just it was the funniest thing to me because I'd have to like really listen intently because they spoke so fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, they yeah. were just in a race to finish. I don't well, know. Sometimes why. I have that problem. Sometimes people uh, tend to speak really fast when they get nervous or something, mm-hmm. and the faster they speak. It's sometimes it's like I'm trying to pick the words out. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes sure. I have difficulty. Well, because you think in English, you know, and that's always like you're thinking in English. Well, actually, if you're th- if you're thinking in English, that's where it's really hard. You mm-hmm. have to think in Spanish. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to understand somebody, when I first was learning Spanish, when I was over in Spain, I was studying in the the University of Salamanca, cursos para extranjeros, which means uh, courses for for foreigners, yeah. Sp- Spanish for foreigners. And so when I was studying there. Uh, I was, uh, uh, I'd have to, you know, think, everything that I had to say, I had to say multiple times. Mm -hmm. First of all, in my head, I had to say the phrase in English. Mm -hmm. Then in my head, I had to repeat the phrase in Spanish, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a couple times. Mm -hmm. And then with my mouth, I had to say the phrase in Spanish. So everything I wanted to say had to be, first of all, said in my head in English, translated in my head to Spanish, maybe a couple times. And then said with my mouth in Spanish. And so by the end of the day, my head would be so <laughs> you get tired. tired. I would it's, just, no, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's a strain. It really oh, is It's just exhausting. And so I'd just lay in bed at night and I'd just, I'd just be exhausted. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember when I finally, somebody had told me, you know you've arrived when you begin to dream in Spanish. Mm, that's interesting. And it, it, was, it was so funny. In the first few months there, my dream and my dreams. My dreams were just like what I was actually yeah, living. Yeah. Nobody understood me, and I didn't understand yeah. them. And that's the way my dreams were. I, I dream of people that, that were talking, and I was talking, and we didn't we didn't understand each other. And the interesting thing is, when you're in that kind of environment, you learn something. Mm-hmm. What you learn is how much of what people communicate is nonverbal. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. You can tell, even though you don't even understand the words, mm-hmm. you can tell if someone is angry mm-hmm. or happy. You can tell if they're sad. You can tell if they're excited. Um, you can tell if they're trying to be deceitful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many things that you can tell without even understanding the words that someone is speaking. And, and so you can look across the room and see someone, and you're, you can't hear what they're saying, but across the room you can recognize uh, the nonverbal communications. Sure. And you learn, when, when you're put in an environment like, like that where you're, where you don't understand anything anybody's saying, you become attuned to, to those nonverbals. Oh, absolutely. You know? I, I, I think that's fascinating, and I, what a great experience for you. I would love to immerse myself. Again, I'm a native speaker in the sense that we spoke Spanish at home, and my caregivers, while I was an infant, they spoke Spanish. Yeah. One of the things that I did with my kids was like my nannies or the, the, the ladies who took care of my kids when I, they were little, yeah. they all spoke Spanish. Yeah. And I instructed them, speak Spanish when I'm not here. Or if I'm here, speak Spanish. Only when my wife is here do you speak English. Because I wanted my kids to at least understand the, 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 the tonation or the, the intone, um, intoned 
vernacular, if you will, whatever. I'm making right, up words. Right, right. But, you know, they, I wanted them to understand Spanish from that perspective. And they right. both do. They can both sit and we can watch you know, a crazy example like a telenovela. And they get what's going on. They understand it well enough. Yeah, They're yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. I get Neither one of them really speaks it. My son a little bit more, but his is more like soccer Spanish. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's okay on the field, but outside of the field, I don't know. A lot know. of the words you learned yeah, there. Yeah. 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 You know, I don't even know the curse words. I, I never, I, I spent all my time around Christians when I was right, Spanish. Right, right. And so, I remember one time this guy was cursing at me, and I had no clue what he was saying. Right. And my wife said, did you hear what he just said to you? And I said... I don't know what he, what did he say to me? She said, I'm not going to repeat it. And I had no, I didn't get offended because I had no idea what the guy was saying. That's, you know? funny. That's funny. I, I, I unfortunately know a lot of the people, so I typically know what people are saying to me. Anyway, well, this has been fascinating. I think it's been a, a, a real nice opportunity to kind of get a different flavor for who Mike Sanders is. And um, I want to give you an opportunity, as I do with all of the candidates, to let people know where they can find you, where they can find information for you online and uh, where you might be over the next few weeks as the election rolls around. Sure. So uh, you can find out more about me on MikeForLeander.com. That's Mike, number four, Leander.com. I've got the red signs around town, if you've seen those red signs. Uh, and uh, I'm, you, know, you can call me. You can email me. My phone number is 512 well, how, I don't know how wide this is going to get. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know. I'm going to put your phone number on there. Let's skip the phone number. Part. But my email address is msandersaustin at gmail.com. M-S-A-N-D-E-R-S, Austin, at uh, gmail.com. Yes, and, and don't put in, that's, which, what did I do wrong on your email address? I, I kept spelling something wrong on there. Uh, it's S-A-N-D, not S-A-U-N-D. That's probably what it was. S-A-U is spelled Saunders. Saunders. And it's, it's not Sanders. Saunders, it's Sanders. Yeah, yeah. okay. All right. So, <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for your time. I Very really good. do appreciate it. It was really nice getting to meet you. Nice talking uh, with know, you, Andrew, and I appreciate you uh, doing this. No, it was very interesting. I, I was fascinated by your storytelling. I think it was great. And again, like I said, I think it gives people a, a little bit of a different perspective yeah. on who Mike Sanders is. Well, thank you so appreciate much. Appreciate it so much. Okay. Thank you all for joining us again, as I always do. Remember, voteinleander.com. If you want information on where you can go to actually place your vote, and up until April 1st, you can still register to vote. So make sure and do so. Vote for your candidates. Learn who they are. Um, there's I've only one left at this point. So if you want to look at the Vote in Leander series on my website, uh, uh, in, on Facebook, um, website soon to be published, and it'll be leaninleander.net. So look for that in the next coming weeks. Again, Mike, thanks for your time, and we'll see you all next time on Lean in Leander. Take care. <laughs>